At home, turn us up. In your car, turn us on. At work, tell others about Talking with Ms. T, the talk show that's giving you trending topics, noted news, interesting interviews, community updates, and so much more. It continues right now. Ms. T. She'll do the talking. All you got to do is be a good listener. Greetings, listeners. This is Tanisha Baker, and I'm spinning the beginning of the winning talk show that pops to the top, always nice with some spice, where we deal what is real and keep it true just for you. You're inside talking with T, and I'm excited to bring you today's show. We are celebrating the one-year anniversary of Talking with T that has featured 52 unrepeated shows. This month, we will highlight some of our past favorite segments, as well as bring you some exciting new artists and special guests. Stay tuned for the Talking with T trivia contest and more, which will be explained later in the broadcast. Today is June 6th, and producer James Jimmy Jam was born on this date in 1959. It is also the birthday of Marion Wright Edelman, who is an American activist for the rights of children. She founded the Children's Defense Fund in 1973. Today in 1969, Dillard University was chartered in New Orleans, Louisiana. June is recognized as Black Music Month, and today in history, in 1968, Henry Lewis became the first Black musical director of an American symphony orchestra. Today on the national calendar is regarded as National Higher Education Day, National Drive-In Movie Day, and National Yo-Yo Day. If you have been a faithful follower of Talking With T, you know that we have a theme for each month. The theme this month is Just Do It in June. We are now halfway through the year, and it is time to make good on any resolutions you may have made or to start moving forward on any plans, goals, or commitments you have. Stop procrastinating and putting things off. Do something today that your future self will be grateful for. Just do it. Now, let's turn our attention to today's happy highlights. Memphis teen sold newspapers for five years so that his mom would not have to pay college tuition. Kevontae's kin started selling papers in downtown Memphis at the age of 12, earning about $200 a week. He reached his goal and was able to pay his entire tuition at Tennessee State University, where he plans to study physical therapy. Where there is a will, there is a way. The next story is about Army Specialist Darren Swallow, who is a disabled veteran. He learned that the flagpole in front of a nursing home had been knocked down. So on Memorial Day, he took it upon himself to hold a flag in tribute to veterans for nine hours in front of the Massachusetts nursing home. He wanted the veterans and the community to know that they had not been forgotten. The final happy highlight is about Alex Idricks, who over the span of seven years went from barely speaking English in a working class neighborhood in Port-au-Prince to graduating from the most prestigious military academy in the United States. The picture of his graduation from West Point is so touching as tears are seen streaming from his eyes. While in Haiti, Idrix was fascinated by the U.S. military. He had what he thought was an outlandish dream of becoming a pilot. He said that people from Haiti don't grow up to be pilots. There is no aviation. 
no helicopters, no flight schools. But in this upcoming July, Alex will enter the Army Aviation Center for Excellence at Fort Rucker, Alabama, as West Point's top-ranking graduate this year in physics. Since this is our anniversary month, I'm going to share a blast from the past on each show in June. Listen to the very first interview on Talking with T with community columnist for the Knox New Sentinel, former president of 100 Black Men of Knoxville, and member of the research and development team for the Highlander Research and Education Center, Mr. Andre Canty. Hello, Mr. Andre Canty. Thank you for joining us today. We're discussing the increased awareness and coverage of police brutality and deaths at the hands of law enforcement. And although I don't believe it's a new dilemma, it is certainly receiving a lot of recent attention. Now, I understand that you uh, traveled to Ferguson to protest the shooting of Michael Brown. And so I'm curious as to why you felt it was important to go and what it was like. So uh, why I went there is um, a couple of years prior, you know, um, Trayvon Martin was killed in, in 2012. And um, I was a part of a couple of protests. And, and after Trayvon, I saw Mike Brown. I saw all these, all these other like young black people, some some older um, who were killed by police. You know, um, my first uh, view of police brutality was Rodney King in 1992. Um, but that was just one guy. But then 2012, 2013, 2014, it kept happening over and over and over again. And I started to think, okay, um, we used to talk about all the time, what what would we do or how would I act during the civil rights movement? Right. But now the answer is right now, you know, so we're, we're in this new movement right now. So instead of civil rights, it's Black Lives Matter, you know. So a couple of us wanted to go up there to see, okay, how can we take those lessons from Ferguson and Mike Brown and try to uh, – do some things in terms of police brutality, in terms of uh, local issues in Knoxville. So we went up there during the weekend of resistance and uh, just just being in the belly of the beast, you know, right? because um, what you saw on TV was tear gas and, and tanks and all that. And it was all because a young person was killed. Right. Um, there's a lot of young people down there that were angry and their, ang- and their anger is justified. Um but at the beauty of that, there's a lot of people who are saying, okay, we're angry, but what can we do with that anger? How can we organize? And how can we organize not only in Ferguson, but at our home state, our own hometown? And we went up there for a couple of days, and um, it was rough. Uh, rough how? So, you know, just being in the middle of it or? The first night, um, we protested in the front of the police department. Yes. And, uh so it was peaceful. So there were there were no violence in terms of physical violence or verbal violence from us. Okay. We were chanting and singing and rapping and all that. You say we. I'm, I'm gonna pause for a second. Was there a formal group that went from Knoxville actually, or did so, you just kind of get together with some buddies? So like and... a, it's like a coalition of people. So okay. uh, yeah, people from Jobs with Justice of Knoxville, the Highlander Center where I work at. And then local, just local people just want to be up there just to experience. Right. And they they ran like the range of like black, white, young, old, male and female. About how many? So there were around 20 people. Okay. From Knoxville. Thank yeah. You. Okay. And um, the first night, um, so it was joyous, you know, but uh, there were police right in the parking lot. 
and they were just standing there and nothing really happened. Okay. An hour later, I and I didn't know exactly what happened or when it happened, but they came out in riot gear. So oh. got that. And then I looked on the left side of the uh the department and I saw people with uh snipers. That sniper wow. that sniper rifles on top of the building. And I had to make a decision, like, okay, uh, do you stay? Do you go? Because I'm not trying to be a martyr that night. You right, know? right. Uh, and, you know, people were getting arrested as well. So, you know, I had to, I had to, I had to think about the safety, about the people that was around me, like my people, you know, because um, though I'm, I'm there for Ferguson, you know, I got, I, got, I got to make sure that my people from Knoxville are good, you know. So, um, but the people that were down there, some of them have been down there since day one, mm -hmm. and they ain't moving an inch. Wow. Because I think, A, uh, they're tired, but B, they're like, I don't care what's in front of me. Um, we're going to stand and fight. And that was beautiful to me. Um, so though it, it was it was surreal, though it was kind of dangerous, um, it was exhilarating because I, I, I saw a group of people, countless people, um, who were fearless. Mm -hmm. And uh, that just inspired me. Um, then we had a, a day march um, that Saturday, which included 2,000 people. That included not just black and white, but Buddhist and Holocaust survivors and all these other people uh, all for one cause. And that's that's just for the movement of black lives. Um, and that's probably because that, you know, even though at this core it's a black issue, um, the people who's fighting for that issue are not just black, proving that the world is paying attention to what's going on. Um, and that's the beauty of it. And we came back and decided, OK, what, what can we do in Knoxville? And someone's been doing that right now. So, um, though police brutality is a part of a bigger issue in terms of systematic oppression, we decided, okay, how can we tackle this in, in various ways? So we have police brutality, have economic empowerment and access, and knowing all this stuff is interchangeable and also connected as well. Uh, so Fight for 15, all that kind of stuff, it all falls under the movement of Black lives and human rights. So I'm just amazed at the insights and the eloquence in which you can really describe that experience and really share that with us. So that brings us to, we're in Knoxville. We don't have the frequency of the occurrence that I've read recently in Chicago and New York and in Washington. And I'm looking at the numbers like, is this real? And actually on my website, I, I've posted some resources because the numbers are staggering. It is truly, like you said, surreal almost in that could this be happening in this country in 2015? So that being said, why do we talk about it in Knoxville? What is it that I need to teach my son? What is it that I need to continue as far as conversations around this issue? Right, right. So I think why this, why this conversation is needed, especially in a place in Knoxville, you know, where it's, it's not as bad. Um, what what we're trying to do and the hope is that it, it will never get to that get that way because we're proactive. So the Knoxville Police Department, I've been cool with them, you know, for, you know, for for the most part. It, I, I have no problem with them. Um, how how they can help, how everybody else can help, is that they raise these issues as well. And and and, and in part, some of them are, some are working already. You know, like uh, Chief Brown is doing a good job about being transparent about what's really going on, and that some of the bad cops are being punished. You know, either they're uh, getting fired or some of them ha have have been tried, you know, which is like, OK, I, I have to give Knoxville props on that. 
that certainly deters some of that activity here. Exactly, yeah. right. Because what we want to do, I mean, it's, 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 it's really simple. We just want the bad cops to be arrested, you know, to right. be punished, you know. Held accountable. Yeah, it's like everybody else, you know. Like, if, if, I, if, if, if I do something, I just get punished, no matter if I'm in uniform or not. Right. And that's basically what we want, you know. Um, if, and, that's, and that's the problem is that when a cop kills a black person, we don't even get like an indictment now at, at this point. You know, we just want them just uh, indicted, tried, and arrested. I, that's, that's all. That's all we want, really. Right. Um, so, so to tell uh, other young black people is that one, um, don't fear the cops. And what I mean, don't fear the cops, is that they're humans just like us. Um, and also know your rights, right? Uh, know about what due process is. You know, uh, what what's the Constitution says no illegal search and seizure because um, my criminal justice professor told me a long time ago is that 99% of citizens don't know the law, but 80% of the cops don't know the law either, you know, so use that to your advantage. So if it is anywhere you can like uh, have documents and brochures said, know your rights. Okay. This, this is what's your, this is your rights as a human being, even with cops. I think that's one thing. Right. Um, And also a lot of people say like, well, well, you should just um, you should just comply. Well, a, a lot a lot of these young black people don't get a chance to comply. Right. Um, Tamir Rice, who was shot in Cleveland, he was 12 years old. They 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 didn't give him a chance to say anything. They they it was two seconds. As soon as they pulled up, they shot him. He's 12 years old. Right. right? Uh, same thing with John Crawford in Ohio. He had a toy gun. Um, they didn't get, they they didn't even give him a chance to put the gun down. Anything they just shot him. So I think the most important thing is that even if there's a wrong, whether you're affected or not, you can fight this through your, you know, through your elected officials. And if, if they don't do it, you protest. And if you and if and if there and if that don't work, you run for office, you know, if need be. And also, most importantly, hack an economic base, you know, knowing what 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 money is. Right? right. So if you control a block or several blocks, especially where it's like mostly African-American, mm-hmm. um, you can control the politics, you can, you can control, you know, how, uh, how the schools are. Um, money still talks, right? Right, right, yeah, because money is, a, money is a part of everything. That's why mass incarceration exists, because the 13th Amendment said that slaves, you know, slavery is illegal. But the, 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 the little, like, fine print is that um, slavery exists if you're convicted. So mm-hmm. if you're in jail... You know, you all you can you can you can be a slave pretty much. That's pretty much what they're saying, because money is involved in everything, even with black lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you know, you 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 ha- you house a prisoner, you know, and so that's a lot of money. So private prison make a lot of money off of that. Uh, they they use that prisoner to to make products for free for other businesses. So you, you you have that. So you have free and cheap labor, right? You know, also dealing with cams, you know, because some. Um, uh, some jails will only have like um, camera the camera conversation and the camera people, they get money. So know how, how the money flows. Um, I, I think that's the most important thing uh, that young people need to know, how, how money flows, how money affects everything. Money affected slavery as well. Um, and I think the most important thing is that, okay, you as a young person or somebody without a title can change things. As we prepare to close up this segment, I want to give you the opportunity to share any closing thoughts, anything that the listeners may still need to know. You know, 50 years ago, we passed the Voting Rights Act because of the struggles of the civil rights generation who 
you know, we refer as the greatest generation in terms of African Americans. This this is the time for a new civil rights. Also, also more importantly, it's a human rights movement, and that young people are out there. And I think the most important thing is that uh, the young people need that support and the love because they they're going to take this movement and make it into a culture. They're not going they're not going to sit away quietly. They're ready to fight, and 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 they know that it's going to take just more than one person. Um, it's going to take a coalition of people. Knoxville is not unique in terms of that kind of stuff. Also, me being from Knoxville as a native, I feel like it's important to look at these issues and say, how can we prevent this from ever happening and be more proactive instead of reactive? And it's not just the people on the ground, it's the police as well, and it's the politicians, so everybody should be involved in that. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Canty. I really feel like this conversation was enlightening, it was insightful, And I hope our listeners take time to continue this discussion and create some dialogue around issues that are not only important nationally, but that we should pay attention to on a local level. And now it's time for T's Top 3. Top 3. Top 3. To reduce opportunities for police misconduct, number one, don't give them a reason to stop you. We have to raise our sons and daughters to be law-abiding, contributing citizens. This may not stop the statistics, but I guarantee it will lower them. Number two, unfortunately, number one does not always shield you from racial profiling. So if you're pulled over, try to stop in a public place. You can also quickly hit speed dial and get one of your contacts to witness the conversation. And number three, know your rights. You have the right to say, I choose to remain silent. After making that statement, you don't have to say a word. Remember, everything you say can and probably will be held against you. Keep it where I said I'll be right back after we hear from today's featured artist out of Nashville, Tennessee, Mr. Damien Horn. I should have never let you back in Let you get up under my skin When I saw your white flag waving All my walls came crashing in Cause I still need you After all, all this time And my heart believes you when you say we'll be fine Cause we are, we are, we are, we are We are what we are Though it's hard to explain it We are, we are, we are, we are We are what we Just enough 
going to join us as we cover our Monday Minute Quick Bits and Trending News. So how are the two of you today on this first Monday in June? Wonderfully well. And I'm fabulous. That's great. I am so excited about kicking off our anniversary series for Talking with T. And um, before we move on, I want to thank the two of you for hanging in there with me and bringing great content and variety to our listeners each week. So thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you for having us on this journey. It's our anniversary. <laughs> Do you know what this month is? It's, it's our, anniversary. our anniversary. Yeah. Anniversary. Yeah. Yes, you all are definitely <laughs> the spice in the show. But we're going to uh, start off actually because this you know, the world is mourning the loss of another great. Muhammad Ali passed away this past week at the age of 74. And there were many, many tributes in honor of this legend and legacy of our generation. Muhammad Ali is arguably the greatest boxer um, of our time. And so we'll all be saddened by his passing. But, you know, he lived a good life, um, shared a lot of wisdom I saw various quotes and inspirations and ways that he had touched the lives of many. So, as I said, he'll be missed, though. Yes, he will. Float like yes. a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And I have a a quote that I have uh, posted up on my wall at home from him that says, I figured that if I said it enough, I would convince the world that I really was the greatest. So those were truly yes. some words that he lived by and truly some words that we, too, uh, can live by as we go throughout our lives. Right, right. Right. Well, you know, this uh, past week, past Monday, was Memorial Day. And over that weekend, tragedy really struck Chicago in that they had a total of 69 people being shot 
between Friday afternoon and early Tuesday morning. So this is 13 more than were shot over Memorial Day weekend last year. But that almost seems unbelievable. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but that just seems like a lot of people over um, three days. Yes, indeed. And uh, I can definitely attest to the fact that there has been an uptick in violent crimes uh, here recently, even down here in Memphis. And uh, I was watching the news the other morning, and the news commentator was talking about how many murders and have occurred in just the first few months of 2016 alone. So uh, Chicago isn't alone in the recent rash of violence that has seemed to invade this country. So, And I don't want to speculate about what's going on, but I mean, I do feel like people seem pretty angry and are doing things out of hate, uh, out of just total disregard of being good citizens and following the laws of the land. And it all started simultaneously with another occurrence, which I won't bring up right now. We'll talk about later. But you're right, because we've had our own surge in violent activity here in Knoxville as well. So uh, there's probably something to that. But I'm going to move on to another sad story, which involves a Phoenix mom. And I just don't understand this, because she kills her three children before trying to take her own life. Now, she actually survived the attempted suicide after her brother broke into her home and called 911. But I can't understand how a mom could do this. So our next quick bit um, is about President Obama, who commutes sentences of 42 more inmates. The majority of them were incarcerated for nonviolent drug offenses, and many of them were serving life sentences. So he is going on record as having commuted more sentences than any other president. And then we talked about Tamar Braxton last week for getting fired from the Real Talk Show. And now, thanks to Steve Harvey, she'll get to host a new talk show that's going to be produced by Steve Harvey's production company. So I heard that last week um, as she was on his morning show. And head bobbing will continue. Right. <laughs> I'll be I'll be twiddling my thumbs to see how, how long this thing is going to last. Well, you know, maybe if it's her own show, then she'll appeal to an audience who enjoys that. And so she doesn't have to conform to the expectations of the other hosts or the producers of The Real. You know, she can do her own thing, and we'll just see if she can build an audience. I mean, some of these other reality shows that people watch have a consistent viewing, so I don't know. She may do okay. And I just read where The Real is threatening to sue her because of what she um, said on the Braxton TV show. You know, they said that when she talked about her firing on there, that it was all false information. If anyone has seen that episode, you know, she was like, she didn't know what happened, and she was just acting like the innocent one and was blaming everything on them. So they have since then threatened to sue her because of the false information she was given on there. But I guess that's just how she feels. Well, if I if I can if I can plant a tree here and use the words of the great gospel singer Kim Burrell on one of the episodes of Sunday's Best, Tamar, I wish you all the best. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we're going to uh, move on into our trending news with some more detailed stories. 
Now, there's another report of correctional facility negligence, which resulted in the death of Max Garcia. Now, the incident actually occurred in August of last year, but it was recently reported because the family has now filed a wrongful death lawsuit. So, Garcia was bit by a police dog during an arrest, where he was charged with armed robbery and resisting arrest. Once he was taken into custody, a nurse told jail officials that he was just faking or exaggerating the extent of his injuries. So at that time, he was moved to a cell with a camera to supervise him. But the supervisor actually issued a statement that he was lying on the ground and groaning in a lethargic manner and punished him. So after being punished for, quote, faking it, Gracias died the next morning from an infection due to the dog bite. And the medical examiner actually ruled Garcia's death as a homicide. So here's the thing. People tend to have little sympathy, or maybe I should say guarded sympathy, for those that die at the hands of law enforcement, especially if they've been accused of committing a crime. However, we have to remember that most of the crimes don't result in the death penalty. So it's still a tragedy. It's still unfortunate. There are still families that are mourning the loss of loved ones that necessarily didn't have to take place, you know. They somehow forget about medical issues at times, and it always results in a death. Well, I think, you know, they get let it go on so long without proper treatment or that they are not responding to claims from those in custody that they're having some type of issue. And I guess maybe... Some people are dramatic or maybe some people fake it, but it seems like on their end, they have to do diligence and check out each of the cases. So I don't know. I agree because on my way to jail in that paddy wagon that time, I couldn't breathe and it was serious. And I told them, somebody to pull this over. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to breathe. laugh. I, I'm serious. <laughs> in, my, in my olden days, it was hot up that night. I was in there with 15 other folks. It was hot. I couldn't breathe. They did. They were nice. They did pull over and, and open the door. And I was like, they didn't give me some iron. They just opened the door and told me to shut up and shut it back. So. I'm going to move on. I must move on. I must carry on. Um, Detroit mother, Christina Anderson inherited $50,000 after a family tragedy, and I think what happened is um, her brother passed away. But after this, and she got her inheritance, it was wired directly into her account at Bank of America. The mother of four, unfortunately, cannot access any of her money because her account was frozen after she was suspected of fraud. She had to cancel her son's graduation party and is in jeopardy of her utilities being discontinued, even though she has more than enough money to cover these expenses. So when she first got the money, she was able to make a couple of withdrawals with no problem. Then on May 24th, she totaled her car. So she went to the bank to withdraw $5,000, and the teller started asking her questions she felt was inappropriate. The teller started asking her where she got all this money from, and she told him it was none of his business and that she was going to another branch where she felt more comfortable. Well, once she got to the second branch, she was informed that her account had been frozen for fraud, and Bank of America issued the following statement. We've frozen the customer's account under the terms of our deposit agreement and disclosures. In the agreement, if at any time we believe a customer's account may be subject to irregular, unauthorized, 
fraudulent or illegal activity, we may, in our discretion, freeze the funds in the account and in other accounts they maintain with us without any liability to the customer until we are able to complete our investigation of the account and transaction. So, meanwhile, Ms. Anderson has expenses, and I'm sure she never believed she would not have access to her own money that she thought was safe in the bank. Can you imagine your money just sitting there and you need it? Um, mm, my face right now, because it would be some serious problems between me and Bank of America if I couldn't get my coin. Well, I'm sure eventually she will get them and promptly withdraw her money from that institution. But I wanted to share that story because, you know, I don't always read the fine print. You know, I'm thinking a bank does what a bank does. And so I'm going to put my money in, and when I want my money, it was a weekday, and I called the bank, and they mentioned to me, well, you didn't let us know that you were traveling. And so when you use your card, in a location different than your, you know, home, then we suspend it until we can verify that it's you indeed traveling. So in some sense, I appreciate being protected, but it kind of threw me off guard. So I know now um, to make those calls when I'm traveling, but I think, you know, I'm sure she didn't read the full disclosure or just didn't suspect this would happen, especially since she had made some previous withdrawals. I don't know. Right. It's a little, something a little fishy about that Bank of America. Not right. letting her have but, her money. Well, yeah. similarly, um, Tanisha, you mentioned the story about you traveling. I went mm-hmm. to the outlet mall in South Haven, Mississippi, which is not even quite 10 minutes from where I live. And, you know, I know I what South was, Haven is because it's on the way to Tunica. Sorry, oh, I, I digress. <laughs> I digress. I digress. Excuse me. Carry on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm I'm in Express, you know, thinking I'm going to give me a, a couple of little items so I can be cute with my clothes and whatnot. And I, you know, try to pay for my stuff three different times. And, of course, my card didn't go through. So uh, I had to use it as a debit card, which I normally don't like to do. And as soon as I had gotten out of the store, I get a call from um, a bank who shall remain nameless, bless him, mm-hmm. Um asking me did I make those transactions and I'm like okay yes I did and uh I'm trying to figure out what the big deal is because there is I mean I could stand at my back door and spit and hit South Haven Mississippi pretty much so why are calling me well we just want to make sure that you know it was you who was actually trying to make these uh purchases like are y'all serious South Haven Mississippi Memphis Tennessee there isn't that big of a gap uh, in distance between the two cities. So it's a bit of an inconvenience, but like you said, uh, particularly if you're traveling long distances and for for those of us who have had our cards compromised, on one hand, it's an annoyance, but on the other hand, uh, it's good to have that kind of protection going on. But, you know, like you said, with Ms. Singh and her Bank of America, it's something, it's something to that. There's a little bit more to that that's not being said. And she may not have read the fine print, but I would think the teller read their job description because it really isn't under her, their business why she's withdrawing $5,000 per account with her money. Right, right. Right. Especially, and they should have been able to see, because that wasn't her first withdrawal. I think one time she had drawn out 5000 and maybe another time 2000 So she wasn't really just going buck wild with it. But it is her business how she got that money. You know, I don't think it's the teller's job 
to try to figure out if she had done something illegal. You know, there are some obvious, you know, signs of fraud or forgery or things like that. But she already had the money in there. So I don't know, you know, them asking her those personal questions definitely offended her. And by the time she could get to the next bank, they had taken action. So, um, you know, you can go to www.talkingwitht.com and actually get more details on the story because the part I didn't fully disclose is how she showed out at the bank when they told her she couldn't have her money and had to leave out the back door. But I'm going to encourage you all to go to, again, that's www.talkingwitht.com and click the link on the story for the full details. So my next story is about, and you may remember this school, but it's Gross Point South High School of Detroit. They're back in the news. Now, the previous story was when a group of students were suspended for making a social media post using the N-word. Now, three students from the school were among a group of teenagers from a mostly white suburban Detroit community that created a video describing what they would do to black people if elected president. So the video is done in kind of an interview style and different students are expressing their thoughts. One of the answers said something like they would send black people back to Africa. One answer, I think, had them limiting the states in which African-Americans could live. So the principal of the school sent out an email this past Wednesday to inform the school's community about the new racist videos circulating on social media. And, you know, there's definitely a pattern of racism in this particular school and community, although the principal seems to take it really seriously, and she issues strict punishment for those participating in these racist acts. I know she suspended the first group, and she talked about separating these students from the school, and I don't know, that may be even an expulsion um, as far as I could tell. She says that the majority of our students and community members do not accept and will not tolerate such bigotry. Of course, I have this video posted on my website as well. But overt racism and these acts seem to be on the rise. This is going back to one of our earlier stories. But just this past Thursday, a young black teenager named Dacian McKenzie died of an asthma attack after being chased by a, quote, armed white mob calling him the N-word on Staten Island, New York. And I was thinking for a minute, I had to look at the date when it said this past Thursday and make sure that I wasn't reading some uh, archive newspaper from the 60s. And also last week, a noose was found hanging on the campus of DePaul University, as well as a young black college student was repeatedly assaulted by white supremacists and called racial slurs from Donald Trump supporters at a rally in Kentucky. See, that's just crazy. And they always be quick to say, go back to Africa. Well, you were my ride, so you take me back there. (laughs) That's the thing, too. And the other thing about that particular statement is they say it as if our ancestors came over by choice. They're saying go back like we came in, that we came over by choice. But that's a whole nother story. And I'm just going to move on because before we close out our news for today, I want to share I'm one getting, more story. I'm just getting over. I'm just getting over watching Ruth all week. So. I know. I know. That's why I'm trying to hurry up and move on. That's why I'm trying to hurry up and move on to this story about Joan Lechner. This person, Joan, 
Lechlitner. Kind of complicated spelling. So regardless of how I'm pronouncing it, she bought a winning ticket in a Pennsylvania lottery valued at over a million dollars. Well, now she's been accused of buying that ticket with stolen money from the grocery store where she worked. She was arrested this past Tuesday on counts of conspiracy, theft, theft by deception, receiving stolen property, and tampering with records. Now, she worked at this grocery store as a bookkeeper. But listen, she wasn't the only one. Her fiancé, her daughter, and nephew were all indicted as well with the same charges. The four of them were accused of ringing up fake purchases and returns since 2011 in the amount of $175,000. And the surveillance footage shows them ringing up returns with no customers around and then using the money to buy lottery tickets. So the four defendants turned themselves in and admitted to the fraudulent sales as well as taking the money. Then they each paid a $25,000 bond and drove off in a truck that they say allegedly was purchased with the lottery winnings. Well, she can just go ahead and pay them court costs and let uh, money she owes the grocery store out of that million dollars then. Right. 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 Do you think she should be allowed to keep the million dollars? If the store wants their money back, they better let her keep it. They probably won't get what? it back no other way. Well, I'm just wondering why wouldn't the store want to take the whole million? Why wouldn't they just sue her for it all? It was. It shouldn't have been her ticket. It was bought with their money. Well, it's true. Well, well, I tell you what, listeners, won't you weigh in? You'll find this story posted on our social media outlets, Twitter and Facebook, and tell us what you think. If she should be required to turn that whole million dollars, maybe a little over a million dollars, to the grocery store in which she stole the money to purchase the ticket from in the first place. So. As always, you can visit www.talkwithtea.com to find the link to this story and the other ones we've shared today. But I can't wait to talk to the two of you next week. And I can't wait to tell it. And you know I'm going to say it. All right now. Well, once again, we're close to the end. But stay engaged by visiting www.talkingwithtea.com and following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you use an iPhone or iPad, I would love for you to download the podcast there. I'm exploring additional listening platforms and will update you as they develop. Currently, you can listen to Talking With T on Blueberry, SoundCloud, iTunes, or TuneIn Radio. I am hosting my first official contest, and it will be Talking With T Trivia Tuesdays. In order to participate, you must visit the website. Again, that's www.talkingwithtea.com each Tuesday this month and look for the contest tab. You will find the trivia questions and instructions for submitting your answers. All winners and prizes will be announced on the show that will air on the 4th of July. Go back and listen to previous shows and explore the website to be successful in the Talking With Tea Trivia Challenge. Remember that new shows drop each Monday and don't forget to subscribe to Talking With Tea Daily, the online daily newspaper to get your daily scoop of trending news and find out what we're talking about. On that note, I'll end with a quote by the late, great Muhammad Ali. It isn't the mountains ahead to climb that wear you out. It's the pebble in your shoe. 
Remember where you heard the word. Keep the peace until next week. You've been listening to Talking with Tea.